feel like I'm leaving my life behind. I don't know if it will be through anger or hope, but something is going to be revealed. A world so full, so rich, and so unexpected that I have the extraordinary adventure of becoming a different me. Oxford's Rothermere American Institute, welcome to this episode of The Last Best Hope, Shorts, in which we explore how extraordinary people were altered by their encounter with America. I'm Charlotte Mobley. In this episode, Simone de Beauvoir, the French writer and philosopher whose unconventional trip across America in 1947 took her off the beaten track and inspired much of her later work. Just two years after her trip, Beauvoir would publish The Second Sex, the seminal feminist text that inspired many activists in the 60s and 70s. Without her adventurous trip across the States, that culture-shaking book could never have been written. Something is about to happen. Simone de Beauvoir wrote these words on the plane to New York from Paris. It was January 1947. This was her first trip to America, and up to now, her impressions of the country had been formed from novels, music and films. Beauvoir had been invited to the States for a four-month lecture tour. At 39, she was a successful writer who'd made a name for herself as a leading intellectual in France. She'd written two novels, She Came to Stay and The Blood of Others, as well as non-fiction philosophy essays. She was also known for her open relationship with the philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre, her lifelong partner and collaborator. Like Sartre, Beauvoir was an existentialist. Her work focused on the subjective experience of individuals and their freedom to shape their development through their choices. Many intellectuals in the US were fascinated by her work and highly anticipated her visit. William Phillips, editor of the left-wing quarterly The Partisan Review, described the feeling in his circle of writers when it got around that Beauvoir was visiting. There was a good deal of excitement. We look forward to meeting a leading French intellectual for the first time in almost a decade. Fascism, war and occupation had cut us off from European writers, and we were eager not only to find out what had been going on underneath the surface of the war all those years, but also to renew the exchange of ideas. Mr. Beauvoir seemed specially qualified to start the ball rolling. Landing in LaGuardia, Beauvoir was driven through New York to her hotel. Gazing at the city from her car that evening as they passed Broadway, she was both amazed and overwhelmed. It isn't with words that I will grasp New York. I no longer think of grasping it. I will be transformed by it. France was still struggling with the impact of World War II and rationing. America was a different world. I feel such a dizzying attraction for America where the memory of the pioneers is still recent and palpable, because it seems to be the realm of transcendence, compressed in time, magnificently expanded through space. Its history is the creation of a world. And this is what moves me about the skyscrapers. They proclaim that man is not a being who stagnates, but one who is full of energy, expansion, conquest. Even drugstores were fascinating. In the extravagant profusion of drugstores, there's a poetry as exciting as in a Baroque church, 
Man has caught the raw thing in the trap of his desires. He asserts the power of his imagination over matter. Beauvoir decided if she was really to get to know New York, she must get to know it with New Yorkers. At a dinner party, she was delighted to see Richard Wright, an African-American author she had known in Paris. She liked his work a lot and found him as charming and engaging as she had in Paris. Between parties and lecture engagements, she spent time with him and his wife and they took her around the city. They went to drink whiskey and listen to jazz at the Savoy, the biggest dance hall in New York, as well as attending a black church service. But Wright's New York was very different to the one she had experienced so far. He comes to fetch me at the hotel, and I observe that in the lobby he attracts untoward notice. If he asked for a room here, he would surely be refused. We go to eat in a Chinese restaurant because it's very likely that they wouldn't serve us in the uptown restaurants. Wright lives in Greenwich Village with his wife, a white woman from Brooklyn, and she tells me that every day when she walks in the neighbourhood with her little girl, she hears the most unpleasant comments. And what's more, while we are looking for a taxi, men dart hostile looks at this black man with two white women. There are drivers who deliberately refuse to stop for us. Wright also introduced Beauvoir to the book An American Dilemma, an analysis of American racial oppression by another European visitor, the Swede Gunnar Myrdal. Beauvoir was very impressed by the book. She was planning to write a long essay about women, and she decided she wanted her work to be an equivalent to Myrdal's text, For Women. By talking with Wright, she began to formulate the framework she used to explore the treatment of women in her later book, The Second Sex. There, she drew analogies between racial and gender oppression. New York, then, made a strong impression on Beauvoir. While she was shocked by the inequality she saw there, as she pulled out of the city on the train to Washington, she realised it had really come to mean something to her. My heart is torn, as if I were leaving someone special. I didn't think I could love another city as much as Paris. And just as New York had made an impression on Beauvoir, she had made an impression on it. Janet Flanner wrote in The New Yorker, Aware that Mademoiselle de Beauvoir is regarded in Paris as the female intellectual counterpart of Jean-Paul Sartre, we were all set for a grim half-hour. Well, surprise, Mademoiselle de B is the prettiest existentialist you ever saw. Also eager, gentle, modest, and as pleased as a Midwesterner with the two weeks she spent in New York. Beauvoir set out across the country, giving lectures at universities, meeting students and intellectuals, and exploring the places she passed through. She travelled through New York State and the Midwest over the course of a few weeks. In the towns and cities she visited, she met many women from different walks of life. American women are not really on equal footing with men. They feel contemptuous, often with good reason, of the civility of French women, who are always ready to smile at their men and humour them. But the tension with which they twist around on their pedestal conceals a similar weakness. In both cases, through docility or arbitrary demand, man remains king. He is essential. 
and woman is inessential. American women had surprised her. She'd expected them to be much freer than in France, but the reality she found was quite different. After a lecture at a women's college, she chatted to the students, and she was so astonished by what they told her that she felt compelled to write about it in The Second Sex. In American colleges, the student status is based on the number of dates she has. Marriage is not only an honourable and less strenuous career than many others, it alone enables woman to attain her complete social dignity. In late February, Beauvoir arrived in Chicago on the first morning train from Oberlin. She only had 36 hours for her visit. Wanting someone to show her around, she called Nelson Algren, whose name had been given to her by friends in New York. Olgren had just published a collection of short stories, The Neon Wilderness, which focused on the experiences of the lower classes and unemployed, as well as social outcasts. Complete strangers, at first they were unsure what to talk about. Language barriers made conversation difficult. Olgren spoke very little French, and Beauvoir struggled to understand his English. But then he offered to show her parts of Chicago visitors did not normally see. He took her to West Madison Avenue, which was full of run-down bars and shelters where the poorest looked for a bed for the night. They settled in a bar with a band and watched the regulars dancing. They dance with a joyous abandon that verges on madness and ecstasy. So ugly, so old, so wretched... For a moment, they lose themselves, and they're happy. I would have known nothing of Chicago, except a stage set with lights and stone, a deceptively opulent and orderly facade. At least I had a glance behind the painted set. I saw a real city, tragic and ordinary, fascinating like all cities where men of flesh and blood live and struggle by the millions. Beauvoir was intrigued by Algren, whose life seemed so different to the intellectuals she had met in New York. Attracted to him and not wanting their evening together to end, she went back with him to his flat to continue talking. And that evening, they slept together. It was the start of a long affair. When she left Chicago the next day, as the train sped away out of the city and towards Los Angeles, she read his book The Neon Wilderness. She wrote to him. I really like the book very much. And I have thought I liked you very much too. I think you felt it, though we spoke so little. I'm not going to say thank you anymore, because it does not mean much. But you have to know I was happy being with you. From Chicago, she travelled across the country to California, and then on to Nevada and New Mexico. She continued her journey across the South by Greyhound bus. And if racism in New York had been shocking to her, what she saw here shocked her even more. The great tragedy of the South pursues us like an obsession. Even the traveller, confined to a bus and waiting rooms, cannot escape it. From the time we entered Texas, everywhere we go there's the smell of hatred in the air. 
She travelled on through the Deep South and back towards Virginia. When she finally returned to the East Coast, she'd been on the road for over two months. Keen to see her, Olgren joined her in New York. This time, it was Beauvoir who was the tour guide. Now comfortable and familiar with New York, she showed him her favourite places in the city. Beauvoir told Olgren about the things she had encountered on her travels and the differences she had seen between American and French women. She was planning to write a long essay about women, she told him. But Olgren encouraged her to extend the project. She should make it into a book. And she did. Eventually, it became The Second Sex. As her trip was coming to an end, Beauvoir decided to make a brief visit to Chicago. She was keen to see more of the city before she left. With Olgren, she listened to jazz in a black club. They watched a thrice-weekly police identity parade and went past a bar deserted because the pianist had just been shot. Over the course of their short time together, the pair had become close and Beauvoir had fallen in love with Olgren. But soon she had to return to Paris. It was not easy to say goodbye. As a parting gift, Olgren gave her a copy of his book Never Come Morning with this inscription. Ah, Simone, I send this book to you that it may pass where you shall pass, down the murmurous evening light of storied streets in your own France. Simone, I send this poem there too, that part of me may go with you. I just sat in the airplane and began to read the book. And then I wished to see your handwriting. And I came to the first page, regretting not to have asked you to write anything on it. And there it was, the tender, loving and lovely lines you had written for me. So I put my forehead against the window and I cried with the beautiful blue sea below me, and crying was sweet, because it was love. Your love. And my love. Our love. I love you. When Beauvoir returned to Paris, she wrote to Olgren, lamenting their separation and describing how strange it was to be home. Paris seems dull, dark and dead. Maybe it is my heart that is dead to Paris. My heart is yet in New York, at the corner of Broadway, where we said goodbye. The pair continued their relationship through letters and travelling together. Olgren later proposed marriage, but Beauvoir was unwilling to leave Sartre and her work in Paris, while Olgren wanted to stay in Chicago. But despite the distance, they continued to have an important influence on each other's lives for many years to come. In 1954, Olgren even featured in her acclaimed novel The Mandarins as the character Louis Brogan. Set in Paris and Chicago, the novel explored the changing place of intellectuals after World War II. The narrator, often thought to be Beauvoir, described meeting him. At first I found it amusing meeting in the flesh that classic American species, self-made leftist writer. Now I began taking an interest in Brogan. Through his stories, you got the feeling that he claimed no rights to life, and that nevertheless, 
he had always a passionate desire to live. I liked that mixture of modesty and eagerness. Back in Paris, and writing to Olgren frequently, the States was still very much on Beauvoir's mind. Having kept notes and written letters throughout her time there, she began to edit these for eventual publication under the title America Day by Day. In the past few days, several people have asked me, do you like America? And I've gotten into the habit of answering half and half or 50-50. This mathematical evaluation doesn't mean much. It only reflects my hesitations. Hardly a day has passed that I haven't been dazzled by America. Hardly a day that I haven't been disappointed. I don't know if I could be happy living here. I am sure I will miss it passionately. For Beauvoir, then, as for so many others, visiting America was a conflicting experience, and one that would affect her for the rest of her life. Her first impressions stayed with her. It seems to be the realm of transcendence, compressed in time, magnificently expanded through space. Its history is the creation of a world. After her visit, Beauvoir continued to make her mark on America. Her work inspired many American feminists, including Betty Friedan and Kate Millett. She visited the States for the final time in 1983 to record a discussion with Millett for a televised version of The Second Sex. 36 years after her first visit, her work was still intertwined with a changing America, shaping it and having been shaped by it. America was vibrant, full of energy and dizzyingly attractive to her. It had inspired her and furthered her career. But it also had a darker side, and she had seen both. Just as she had hoped on the plane to New York, something of the real America had been revealed to her, and it had left her transformed. You've been listening to The Last Best Hope, Shorts, written and presented by me, Charlotte Mobley. The readers were Olivia Marshall as Simone de Beauvoir, Izzy Collie Cousins as Janet Flanner, Alex Hancock as Nelson Algren, and Adam Smith as William Phillips, with music performed by George Palmer.